Good morning. So good to have you here with us this morning. A number of people, as I said earlier, are gone, but are not here today. But I certainly want to remember them and pray that God will protect them. Uh, so thankful uh, just to be back with those of you that are here. Uh, an absolute blessing. Um, it is 1118 um, since um, not all the, the cattle has come to the, the, the barn to this morning. Um, I just called y'all cattle, didn't I? Since all the sheep have not come to graze, I will uh, do my best to not feed you the entire bale. Um, so you may get a shortened version of what uh, was done this morning. I asked the guys if they could just push play, and I go sit with my family this morning and just watch it again. And I was informed next week if I let them know in time I could do that. In other words, no, they said, no. Um, I, I am thankful this morning, though, that we can look to God, who is still our hope, still our king, our joy. He is the hope for the church. And I believe that God is still ready and and able to do great things. Because of this, we look in the continuation of Joshua, Joshua chapter 3. We're going to find in Joshua chapter 3 some things that we must do in order to be able to experience great things that God still has for his church. What I don't want us to lose sight of is the importance of the church. Elections change. They change the, the face of your country. They change the face of life. But for the church, they shouldn't change. Who the church is is who the church is. It's who they've always been. Worshippers of the one true God, trusting in Christ, uh, people who proclaim the word of God. That is the, who the church is. So those things have not changed, and for that, I am very, very thankful. I pray for the, for the mother's womb. I pray for protection over every child. Those are things that are important for us to be praying for as we move forward. But folks, who the church is, is who we've always been. People who are devoted to our King and our Lord. And I believe that our King and our Lord is ready to do great things. I believe that God is going to do something wonderful and amazing. But if you want to be a part of it, Joshua sets out a plan for us to be able to have a part of what God's getting ready to do. So let's stand together and let's read from Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3 beginning with verse number 1. It says, then Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan. Now notice, I said early in the morning. Who in here enjoys early mornings? Anybody in here enjoy a good early morning? All right. Y'all, my wife gets up every morning at 3.45. Heads to go work out, comes back, gets ready for school, has her coffee, and prefers that I not move until she's done. (laughs) Apparently I talk too much. I don't get it. Early mornings, it says he got up early. Why? Because when there's things to get done, you get up and you get started. So Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan. He and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they crossed over. They lodged there. They had to make preparations. Things had to be done. Not just rest for the body, but things were about to happen in their life. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp. 
And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it about 2,000 cubits by measure. Folks, that is a great span. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. What a wonderful passage this morning that says. We're, we're about to, to go through life. You're going to go in a spot you've never been. Folks, let God lead you. Let God go first because he knows the way. And Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Then Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, take up the ark of the covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the ark of the covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, this day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. Father God, we thank you that you are still on your throne, that you are still God, and you are still good. But we, the people of God, must sanctify ourselves, ready ourselves to be able to see the wonders that you're about to perform. Lord God, may we be right with you. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So Joshua, you can be seated, I'm sorry. So Joshua rises early. He has work to do, and he begins to tell the people, listen, here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to take place. And it says, so it was after three days that the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, when you see the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, This is what it would have looked like. Just as God gave Noah exact dimensions on how to build the ark, God also gave the exact dimensions on how to build this particular ark. Now we're talking obviously two huge differences in scale. One was to save uh, eight people and, and two of each kind of animal. And then this ark was used then to save the people of Israel as their sins were atoned for upon the ark. But they would have known the exact dimensions, how it was to be made, what it was to look like, so on and so forth. The ark was of great importance. We know that from the ark and the, the specifications given to us in Exodus chapter 25, they knew what to do, what it should look like. And the ark also carried three important things in it. There were three things in the ark. Who in here knows, besides those in the first service, what those three things were in the ark? No, Eric, you were in the first service. Eric's back there, raise his hand. In the ark, in the first thing, that the very first thing that they would have they'd put in, when God gave the law, they had the, the Ten Commandments. Those that, help me out, Moses, correct, had to take and chisel out because what did he do with the first ones? He got mad, he threw a temper tantrum and broke them into pieces and God said, that's fine, son. You're going to learn these things really well. He sent him back up the mountain and said, now go find two tablets that look like those that I had and you're going to chisel every word, every letter into those Ten Commandments. Those same stones are in the Ark of the Covenant. So this thing would have weighed quite a bit. Also in the Ark, 
was the staff, the budding staff of Aaron. Remember all the miracles that Aaron did with the staff? Threw the staff down and became a snake, ate all the other staffs. Put the staff in the, in the river, in the Red Sea, and what happened? It parted. Hit the rock, and what happened? Water came forth. So you would have the, the, the time where God gave the law to Moses, the Ten Commandments. You would have the time when God showed himself by miracle with the budding staff. And then third, remember when they would gather manna, if they gathered too much, what happened to the manna? It rotted. It had a stench about it. It would be this horrible smell. And so inside this, as only God can do, there was also manna in the ark. So there would have been this preserved manna that God said will never ruin. That was inside the ark. God placed it there. God put it there. That is part of what they were to do. They were to, they were to have it in that spot. So we understand that the ark was very, very important. It had great, great meaning to the people. Now, the ark itself was not holy. A lot of us would think, well, yeah, you know, the ark is holy. I mean, everybody knows that. They even made a movie about it. Right? Anybody remember that? Anybody remember the name of the movie? Indiana Jones, right? Or the Lost Ark. There you all go. You are going there now. That's what they were looking for. So here's the thing for us. We understand that that all these things were happening, that the ark was of great importance, but itself is not holy. It was when God's presence, it's God himself that is holy. And when he would come and sit between the cherubim, you see those two on top, God's presence would come and sit there. And at that moment, that's when it was considered to be sacred and holy. But it was God's presence that made it so. His presence there. And also the ark served once a year as what? place of atonement the blood of goats and sheep calves was spilt upon that altar because something had to die in order for the sins of God's people to be covered just like when Adam and Eve sinned God took the life shed blood gave them covering of skin from the animal to cover their nakedness And the blood of that animal had to be spilled for their sin. And here, once a year, God's people would have had their sins atoned for upon the altar. But I want you to also consider some other things about the ark. I want us to pay attention to exactly what it described here as they have to uh, walk a certain distance. It says, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord, your God, and the priest, the Levites. Now, notice how they put it here, the priest. The only people that God said could carry the ark were the priests. And how did, how did they carry it? Anybody remember how they carried it? You see these two rods? They place it upon their shoulders. And these men would be expected to carry this great heavy ark. Why? To remind them of the great burden that was upon them as priests to keep God's people in his word. So here was this ark that they carried. And it says they were to carry it. Because that was the command of God. No one else was to carry it. Only certain families could come and gather up artifacts. They weren't to touch the ark. Only the Levite family could touch touch this. But other families could grab the artifacts. They could take things that were necessary for the worship. But only the Levites could touch the ark. And he says that you should go out from your place and go after it. 
Folks, that should be a pretty good symbol or, or symbolism for the church. We should be going after God, seeking out who he is, seeking out what he's doing, looking for him. They should seek out the ark. But they said this, listen to this. Yet there shall be a space between you and it about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you must go for you have not passed this way before. How many of you have ever tried to take a shortcut when it came to worshiping God? All of a sudden you're like, you know, God, I know that I need to be right with you, but I don't really need to get rid of these things in my life, but I'm going to still, I'm going to pray to you more. I'm going to do all these different things. So instead of getting yourself right with God, you're going to do other things thinking that that will actually get you right with God. Those are shortcuts. They don't work. There was only a certain way to make this happen. They had to do everything exactly as God commanded or else it would not work. But we all are guilty of taking shortcuts. If you, it's kind of like somebody who has, maybe they're, they're down to their last hundred dollars. So all they've got is $100, and they know they need to use that money wisely, but they're smarter than God. They're going to go play the lottery, right? Now how much money do they have until they play the lottery? None, right? No money. There are no shortcuts. We, we can't get around the truth. We can't get around of what God has called us to do. There, there's not a quick way there. You don't get to cheat. And how do we know this? Because David found this out in 2 Samuel. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, David found out there are no shortcuts when it comes to dealing with the way God has set things up. How many of us remember the shortcuts in the Old Testament? Think about all the men who took another wife because their wife was barren. God said, I don't recognize that child. I don't recognize those sons because that's not how I planned it. People have taken shortcuts their whole life. Well, David is about to take a shortcut. He's, he's believing that the ark should be with his people, with God's people. It's about time for the ark to come home. Let's bring it home. And David knows the rules. David knows exactly how this is set up. David knows who is allowed to carry the ark and everything. But David goes against all that because he's going to help God out. Anybody here ever tried to help God out? How does that work? Not real well, right? We usually wind up saying the wrong thing. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1 says, Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. I mean, this man, he's serious about going and grabbing this ark. I'm taking 30,000 men with me. We're going to get this thing. We're bringing it back home. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Bel Judah to bring up uh, there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name the Lord of hosts, who dwells between, again, the cherubim. So we see this here. Again, where does God dwell? Right here, between the cherubim he speaks of. They're going to bring it home. But here's the problem. So they set the ark of God on a new cart. I mean, if we're going to break God's law, let's at least do it top notch, right? If we're not going to do things the correct way, let's at least make it look good when we do it. Again, who is supposed to bring the ark? The Levites, right? The priests, they're, they're supposed to be carrying the ark. But David's like, I don't have time to gather all the people up. Let's just get a new cart. This ought to impress God. A new cart, carrying the ark, this will impress God. Plus, it's very heavy. The Levites are probably, you know, they're tired. Let's get us a couple of pair of oxen. They're way stronger than all the Levite people. God, just listen to me. I've got a plan. If you'll just follow my plan, you will be better off as God. Doesn't that sound ludicrous to say such a statement? But that's exactly how we think sometimes. 
God, I know that you have a particular way. I know how you want to do things. But Lord, just if you'll just let me tell you how to be God, things will be so much better. And so finally the Bible says that God turns them over to their own ways and they're way worse than they were before. David has it set out. He's, he's going to do this. So they set the ark of God, of God on a new cart because that's the way to impress God and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. So they're up top. They've got to bring the cart where? Down, right? Now, listen to this. And Uzzah and Hio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. Hey, this, cart, this, this ark has been around them for quite some time. They are used to it. That has been in their home. They have seen it. And let me tell you what happened. The, familiar, the familiarity of the ark actually kind of begun to cause them to lose a reverence for what it really was. They had gotten comfortable. Much like people in the church get very comfortable with coming to church. There's no longer listening to the preaching. It's just like, I wish you would hurry up. We've got to get to lunch. We've got things we've got to do. And instead of coming to hear the actual word of God, we have gotten complacent because we have lost our reverence. Folks, when a preacher stands in the pulpit and he's truly proclaiming the word of God, you ought to listen. And we've gotten to where we don't really, ah, it's really not that important. Reverence is not that big a deal. You know, let's just at least, at least God, I'm there. Again, there's the shortcut. God, at least I showed up. Now bless me. That's not how it works. So they set out. They drive this new cart in verse 4, and they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill accompanying the ark of God. And Ohio went before the ark, so he's ahead of it because he's leading the oxen, right? I mean, at least these people have been around it. God, be proud of us. We've got the right people leading the oxen. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments, of fir wood, on harps, on string instruments, and tambourines, on sistrums, and on cymbals. Folks, these people are excited. The ark's coming home. Look what we're doing. God, recognize our, our praise. Recognize our worship. Are you seeing what we're doing? God should be thankful, right? God should be proud of these people. Because they're not following God's plan. So much so that listen to what happens. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it. Folks, the only people allowed to touch the ark were the Levites. Nobody else. David left them at home. He didn't need them. He had a plan better than God's. The Bible says that Uzzah reaches out and touches the ark, grabs a hold of it. Why? Because the oxen stumbled. Doesn't say the ark stumbled. Doesn't say anything. Doesn't say God fell off the throne. It just simply says the oxen stumbled. And listen to what happened. Verse 7. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. All he did was touch it. We lose reverence for the very things that God expects us to have reverence for. We no longer fear the Lord like we should. And we reach out our hand and we touch the things that are not ours. And God says, done. Finished. 
The Bible says God struck him there for his heir, and he died there by the ark of God. And listen to David, who is just like us. Listen to David, who is just like us. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. Folks, who should he have been angry with? Himself. Himself. He's the reason that they're in this predicament because he thought he was smarter than God. First, God had given Moses and Aaron specific instructions about the tent of meeting and the movement of the Ark of the Covenant. After Aaron had, and his sons had finished covering the holy furnishings, Excuse me, and all of the the holy artifacts or articles. And when the camp is ready to move, the Kohathites are to come to do the carrying. But they must not touch the holy things or they will die. The Kohathites are to carry those things that are in the tent of meeting. No matter how innocent it was done, touching the ark was an indirect violation of God's law. And the result was death. That's the way God set it up. And you and I must also follow God's plan. So the question becomes, what is keeping you and I? What is blinding you from God's wonder? What is keeping you and I from seeing the wonder of God? In order to see that, we need to look at Joshua chapter 3 verse 5 and understand the idea of sanctification, to consecrate. It's to set apart by religious right. To set apart by religious right. Again, this is the command that was given. Joshua said to the people in verse 5, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. They were to, to sanctify themselves. Now, what does that mean, religious right? Exactly how does that work? All of us in this room, you have running water, right? You have a shower or a tub. You get to clean every day. Two or three times a day if you want to. But in this particular day, folks, water was a luxury. They may have not have bathed in a month, but they're getting ready to experience something about God. They're getting ready to, to have a moment where God is going to show himself, reveal himself, and show to them that as I was with Moses, I am with Joshua. God's ready to do something. But before God was going to do it, the people had to clean up. Physically and spiritually, they had to clean up. So what would have been one of those things? They would have had to have taken a bath. They would have had to have bathed and put on new clothing. Every day you and I get up, what do we do? Unless you're a man, you sniff it. But if you're, you know, but if you're a woman, you, you're like, I know that's clean. I know those are good, right? <laughs> I know that's good. That's why men get married, because we trust our wife to take care of those items. Like, thank you, honey. I know that's clean because you say it's clean. If we're a single man or if you're a man left to yourself for a week, you're going, yeah, that looks clean enough, right? That's good enough. Here, the Bible says that they were to cleanse. They were to consecrate. They were to sanctify. Physically, they had to clean themselves. Spiritually, the men and women would have had to come and devote themselves totally to God. Husbands and wives, totally devoted to the Lord. They had to get their selves right. If there were things not right amongst the husband and the wife, then things cannot be right with them spiritually with God. And so what has happened, 
Joshua is saying, get yourself right. Put yourself underneath the microscope. Quit looking at how your neighbor's acting, how your neighbor's behaving. How are you behaving? How are you acting? How is your life? How is your faith? Where are you when it comes to the wonder of God? You must go underneath the microscope of Scripture. Folks, let me ask you this question. If I were to go back with you and we were to go piece by piece, verse by verse throughout the Bible, how many of us would find that we are failing somewhere in our walk with God? I'll go ahead and tell you, my hand goes straight up. I'm telling you right now, I know that. There are areas in my life that I know I need to get right, and I'm trusting that God's about to do something that I've never experienced. God is getting ready to do things that we've never dreamed of or imagined. He is getting ready to show us that he is still God no matter what anybody says. Unfortunately, I may not be ready to see that. If Scripture were to take and dissect your heart piece by piece, what would it find there? Would there be unforgiveness, anger, and hatred? Would there be a lack of reverence? Do you desire to be here? One of the things that we have found through this so-called pandemic that we're having, as I've told you before, I believe in it. I know it's real. There's no question about that. But let me tell you the one thing that has happened. Remember a few weeks ago I told you that we're now, we're about 13 to 18% of your church is filled with teenagers. That's it. That's all that you have, 13 to 18%. We're now down to about 7% through the pandemic. This has been an excuse for families and their children to leave the church. We need to go back. Church needs to be important. We need to be celebrating church. Instead of talking about all the, 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 the stuff that goes on at church, we should be talking about the church, talking it up, lifting it up, lifting up God, talking about how we love the Lord and how we love the people of God. And you may tell you what, the people that we gripe about the most at church, can I tell you who they are? They're just people. Y'all need to realize that the church is actually made up of people, correct? <laughs> and as long as there's people, what is it going to be? It's another P. There's, there's people, there's problems. Trust me. How many of you, if your wife would just listen to you, you would most of your problems would be solved? Y'all go ahead and laugh. Brad, you're already in enough trouble. Don't do it. <laughs> how many wives, how many if your men would just, if your husbands would just listen to you, all of your troubles would be fine? It amazes me how it is so easy for us to point out the faults. And by the way, I'm guilty as everybody else of our significant other, other our, our, the love of our life, our spouse. Yet it's hard for us to recognize our own faults. I can quickly tell you what's wrong with the, the leadership of the, the rest of the leadership of the church. But yet when I look in the mirror and I were to ask the mirror to speak back to me and tell me how good I'm doing, the mirror would say, yeah, you're not doing so good. telling y'all, if we want to experience the wonder of God, we've got to set ourselves apart 
We've got to get ourselves right. Husbands and wives need to sit down and get right with each other and get right with God. We need to clean ourselves, cleanse ourselves, confess our sin, and get right with God. And we're going to need to be looking to God, chasing him. Look for him while he may be found because there's going to be a point where you can't find God anymore. That's biblical, by the way. We're at a place where we need to look as a church. What we need to be worried and concerned about, not worried, but what we need to be trusting God with more than anything is not the United States, but with the church. The church. The church is still the same group of people that have been together since Christ ascended into heaven. We're still made up of people, and as long as there's people, there are problems. Go back and read the New Testament. Read the book of Acts and see all the craziness that went on within the church. They were just as messed up as we are. But yet God's word was preserved because there were those who were found faithful. May God find us faithful. I want to see the wonder of God. Then I must be willing to allow God's word to become a microscope in my life and show me where I need to get right with him. Past sins, things that we laugh about now, that's just a lack of reverence. Recognize sin for what it is. Confess that sin. Get right with God. So that we can be ready for what God is going to do. Because God is not dead. He is very much alive. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you hold us. And Father, we thank you that you continually, continually give us grace after grace, after grace. But then there comes a point, God, where I know because you are God that we're going to keep drawing close to you without reverence. And God, we're going to touch the things that you've commanded us not to touch. We're not going to pay attention to your word like we once did. And then death is going to come. Lord God, I pray that we will be found faithful. And that the true church will fall upon her knees before a holy God and seek you above all things. We pray this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.